When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try today to answer the question of, does God really care about people that die? Um, unknown people, nameless people, people that don't make it into the big stories. And we've got an example of um, a man pleading for his life and the lives of his soldiers with God. Um, it's also the feast day of Hildegard von Bingen, a medieval mystic. So thankful for her today. We'll pray her collect or her prayer, commemorating her life at the end. Thank you for reading that. It's um, always strange to get these kind of details about people from this time period. Here you have Ahaziah, this wicked king of Israel, the northern kingdom, falls through a lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, in the palace. He's got some sort of, um, I don't know if it's a window lattice, like a screen over a window, or if it's some sort of sort of like atrium situation. You know how you go to a hotel or an office building with an atrium? And I remember when I first went to my first atrium, I was like, wow, inside this building, there's plants. It's like a mall in here. You can tell what generation I'm from. And, you know, you look over the, the railing, and there's like a middle section. There's people like walking around down there and you just kind of want to want to like drop something like a pen, you know, <laughs> to see what happens as a younger person. I, I may have wanted to. To spit or something, I'm not I'm not saying I ever did that. I'm just saying like there's a temptation when you're up high to look over and look down. And I don't know if Ahaziah had this temptation while he's in the upper chamber through the lattice or he is drunk or whatever it is that causes him to fall through a lattice. I mean, it does sound like a party injury to me, um, falling through a lattice in the upper chamber of your palace in Samaria. I'm just saying, I don't know what happened. But he's in great pain. He's hurt by this. Um, it's hard to say how far he fell. But um, he goes and says, go to Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is a unique name for a god. Baal means lord or master. Zebub means flies, lord of the flies. Go tell the lord of the flies. Um, there's a great novel, of course, William Golding's novel, Lord of the Flies, about these boys from an upper class English prep school who get marooned on an island in a flight during World War II or some other time I forget when it was and they develop their own society which is marked by violence and torment and towards the end there's this pig's head on a stick that's got flies buzzing around it and they realize that this is their god the lord of the flies and I think that association is probably pretty accurate the lord of the flies is the lord of the dead um, whenever you have something dead, the flies come quickly. And so this god of the dead at Ekron, uh, very close to Samaria is Ekron. 
Um, th th we're talking about uh, this idea of, of purity in the Old Testament, that somehow there was a golden age where everybody got it right, where everybody followed the one true God, where everybody was in harmony with their neighbor and peaceful and sharing and like having this purity of religion, even in the times where we kind of think that was true, like when Solomon built the temple or when David conquers Jerusalem or when David kills Goliath or all these times where we kind of think like, wow, everybody was on the same page. We're just shockingly made aware of the fact that no one was ever on the same page. Much like our day, people had a lot of competing options for what who they were going to worship. And here, the king of Samaria, the king of the people of God in Israel, is his first inquiry is to Baalzebub, the lord of the flies, to get some in intel on if he's going to recover. Um, so while he's sending a messenger to go get this information, Another messenger is sent by the Lord, an angel. The word angel, angelos, um, in, in the Bible means messenger. It can mean sometimes a human messenger. It can sometimes mean a divine messenger, an angel. So the angel of the Lord goes to Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah, we know who Elijah is. I don't know why they have to reintroduce him here. Like he's Elijah the Tishbite. How many other Elijahs are running around? casting uh, fire on people and things. And he says, go and meet these messengers. Um, like, he's like, you at least have, the, the angel says to Elijah, you at least have to present to this king another option. This king thinks that the only option he has is to go to Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. When in fact, there is a God in Israel, there's still a prophet, you can still go ask the prophet. Um, this is a strange conversation. Um, and he tells Elijah, you shall not leave the bed to which you have gone, but you will surely die. That's the message to the king, that you're never going to get up out of this bed. Um, this will be your deathbed. Um, Norm MacDonald recently died, a comedian. And um, they asked him in an interview a couple years ago, um, so... So when you're laying on your deathbed, and they didn't know he had cancer, and they didn't know he was dying, but they asked him this. I guess comedians get asked these kind of, if you're laying on your deathbed, what, what, what would you be regretting at the end of your life on your deathbed? And Norm MacDonald, of course, said, I'd be regretting, you know, why did I buy this deathbed? <laughs> How did I get into a deathbed? <laughs> um, you know, who, who bought this? Why did I think this was a good idea? Um, but in fact, this bed of recovery for Ahaziah becomes a deathbed because God has a hand in all this. You think he just fell through that lattice because he drank too much or he was having too much fun at a party? God is definitely involved in the story of Ahaziah and the fact that God wants Ahaziah to be gone. And Elijah is supposed to deliver that message. Well, anyway, um, this captain is sent by the king to go to Elijah, and every time he comes up to this place where Elijah is, um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. They call up to the to Elijah and say, "Oh man of God, the king says, come down." And Elijah answers with fire, and it consumes, it burns alive fifty 
of the soldiers at a time. We've got sort of Game of Thrones dragons going on here, just blowing soldiers up. And you can see the way they phrase the question is the problem. Hey, O man of God, the king says, come down. Like, who's giving orders to who here? Um, this king, who is on his, what is now his deathbed, but he doesn't know it yet, is ordering the man of God as a second option around. Is God ever content with being your second option? And yet God is often our second option. Kierkegaard said at the 11th hour is when we have repentance, and we never repent before the 11th hour, after we've tried everything else. Uh, I don't know about you, but when it, something goes wrong in my life, I have like 50 different solutions I try, and then I usually pray. And after I've tried sort of everything to sort of rework things or renegotiate things or whatever it is, that's when I pray and say, God, I've obviously gotten in over my head. I need help. I need your help. And Elijah knows they're not there yet. He knows they're not there yet. So the fire keeps coming. And um, we see once again an illustration of how the sin of a king affects the lives of ordinary people. The sin of this king Ahaziah in his 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 rush and rash consumption of deities that he is going to try all these different options before he tries the true and living God that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his forefathers, the God that he's supposed to be in covenant with. He's going to try all these other options. And so ordinary people like these soldiers are getting burnt alive because he won't listen. Well, eventually the Lord says to Elijah, okay, you can go down now. After this captain pleads with Elijah, and you see this really plaintive uh, plea pleading. Um, he says to him, uh, he says to him, O man of God, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Um, let my life be precious in your sight. He says this to him twice. There is a cheapness to life when kings like this are in power. There is a dispo disposability of humanity whenever there is a lust and craving of power. And it's these kinds of people, these soldiers, who are going to be the ones consumed by it. We can see this in all of human history. Many philosophers and theologians and political scientists have wondered, why in the world do we get involved in wars? What is the benefit to humanity? Why is war so pervasive in all human societies from time immemorial? Why are we obsessed with war? Why do we, even though we know it's bad, why do we want it so bad? Uh, why do we get involved in it, even when it seems like the people that die in it are not the ones who seem to benefit from even winning it? Um, and the answer kind of circles back to that it does benefit a few people. War always benefits a few people, um, and they will always want to do it when they can. Uh, and this, and the people that are going to die are the guys like these 50. They're going to be the ones who are going to die. And you can see that this, um, this devaluation of human life is something this captain realizes. He realizes that he's about to go get burned alive for some king that doesn't even care about him. And so he pleads with Elijah, let my life and the life of my men be precious in your sight. This is a kind of prayer too. Um, that we can see here in the story. And L Elijah hears him, and the Lord hears him, 
and says, I'm not going to burn these guys alive. Um, here we can see that this idea that every single life is precious, that your life is precious, it's a contribution to the world in which we live. And so their lives are spared. And the word of the Lord goes back to the king. This is going to be the bed that you're going to die in, the one you're lying in now. The time is up. The clock has run out. Your chances for repentance are over when you're the king. Um, and so this is how the, the kingdom goes to the next king. We have this transfer of power again. Um, all of the kings of Israel were wicked, every single one of them. The kings of Judah had a mixed bag back and forth between good and bad. But the kings of Israel are always set on consuming their own desires and making those happen in the world at the expense of other human lives. And so this idea that all life is precious, even the lives of these soldiers, um, is something we ought to think about and contemplate. That God sees the kind of things that people suffer, especially when they suffer on behalf of others. The other detail in this story that is so funny to me is they're like, um, what sort of man came to meet you, they say. And as, as Paul so well read, um, they said, a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. Here we have a description of Elijah the Tishbite. Um, this uh, description is the description of John the Baptist in many ways. This is why Jesus said, oh, yes, Elijah did come. His name was John the Baptist. Elijah and John the Baptist at this point are their mythology is commingled in the sense that Elijah must come back before the Messiah comes. And so here we have the Messiah or the Elijah coming in the person of John the Baptist wearing the same outfit, a leather belt around his waist, a hairy man. Even though he's a vegetarian, um, he does not eat meat. Elijah and John the Baptist have a leather belt. Similarly today, Orthodox monks, when they take their vow of celibacy, which, is in, which includes not eating meat um, for most of the year. Um, they do it, they do it um, and they wear a leather belt to commemorate that, in that a life was taken um, to, to make this belt. And so my life is taken <clears throat> in, the, in the living of my life. Um, sort of a, the idea of martyrdom, um, an early martyrdom is the, the idea of that kind of vow. And the leather belt symbolizes that. And it does for John the Baptist as well and Elijah. So even though they're eating locusts and wild honey and things like that, um, they commemorate that death, the death of their own self-autonomy and their death of being able to reproduce and have a family and the death of their, um, the death of, of, of eating meat uh, is, is symbolized by this leather belt. And he's hairy, of course, which shows you that most people weren't in that day. Uh, most people were pretty well groomed. We often think of ancient people as sort of having like wild and crazy hair. But and we, from what little we know of ancient sculptures and wall art, uh, people in this time spent a lot of time on their hair, especially the Babylonians, especially the Assyrians. And we assume and imagine that the people of Israel also did what the fashionable things were to do with their hair except for Elijah the Tishbite. He's, his hair is wild, and he's a hairy guy. So um, it's neat to see those kind of details. But I think overall, 
that your life is precious. And remember that when you're down, when you're discouraged, when you feel like your life is worthless, when things are hopeless and they're pointless, that's when you got to remember that God is the one that values your life. And God says you are precious. And if you need that validation from me, text me or call me and I'll remind you of that. Hopefully your fellow Christians in this fellowship will remind you of that. Um, not in a way that doesn't hear your suffering or, or listen to you, but sometimes we need that reminder that our lives are precious, that you are a contribution to the world just by being here. You bless us. You are a blessing to the world and not just to the human world, but you are a blessing to all of creation in the way you care for creation, in the way that you follow God in faith today. And you're doing that. Amen. Day of Hildegard von Bingen. Hildegard lived a thousand years ago uh, and was a nun. She w saw visions as a young child and was and was an oblate. Her parents gave her to the monastery as a child, maybe around the age of 12, 14, somewhere in there. And she grew up in monasteries and found this to be a place of creativity. She wrote numerous books, not just about spirituality, but about medicine and botany and other subjects, um, and was a composer of music, music that was used in the monastery for their worship, and also music that traveled outside the monastery to be performed. Um, you can Google her, Hildegard von Bingen, and YouTube, on YouTube and listen to hours of her music, um, which is really beautiful and really strange to hear something composed so long ago. Um, and she's a gift to the church. She is a doctor of the church. Um, her authority has been acknowledged uh, by the Roman Catholic Church and has always been a treasure to Anglicans as we celebrate her life today and thank God for her. God of all times and seasons, give us grace that we, after the example of your servant Hildegard, may both know and make known the joy and jubilation of being part of your creation. And show forth your glory, not only with our lips, but in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>